Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Welcome to Malkovich Malkovich Minute Minute, the daily podcast in which we forward somersault, back handspring and wall walk our way through the film Being John Malkovich, one minute at a time. I am your host, Austin Pryor, and once again, I am about to be joined by my guests for the week, John and Niall. Hello. (laughs) Welcome back to Minute 3, which starts with the Craig puppet continuing his dance of despair and disillusionment, which I've got in my notes as dance of D&D, which I now just (laughs) want to see. (laughs) Hell yes. (laughs) Um, And ends one minute later with a fade to black with the beginning of a parrot talking to Craig the next morning. (laughs) Yeah, so what are your responses to this minute? It, It is weirdly like because of that fade to black. It's like its own mini movie. It really is, yeah, yeah, yeah. If if I learned afterwards, oh, this is a short that they then yeah. based the movie on. I'm like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 They'd be like, oh, you, you first saw this at like you know one in the morning when Mark Commode was presenting it on Channel Four or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, let's make a movie out of that. Yeah. <laughs> and I I really like this as well. You know, even more so here. I'm getting kind of uh, ballet vibes. It's a bit. Yes. Uh, it's yeah. a bit Black Swan, which I suppose the plot is. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. About, you know, becoming other. Yes. Yeah, so I guess. yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing, too, because, you know, obviously you'll get into all this as the movie goes on, Austin, because there is the, the whole business of, like, you can read this in many ways of, like, yes, becoming an other, and there's, oh, there's a, yeah. I don't even know whether to call it a trans allegory or just trans text, because it, it's, it is flat out addressed within within the Absolutely. movie and stuff. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of played. I don't. I don't mean in like a, a jokey way, but it's more like a like. Oh, that's not serious, though. You're just you're just being yeah, strange. That, you're that, just that, not understanding what's happening. I do but wonder you if you could it, read it that way. It, like a, you know, a trans person could really identify with. Them. Oh yeah, I do well, wonder if nowadays hope- if it would be a bit more. I the, my feeling the only I don't even call it a fault with the movie. I suppose it is, but as it goes on. It does have like yeah, all the people you see lined up to wanting to become someone else. Yeah. It all seems to be the same. They're all sort of the, they're all white people basically, and you get <laughs> yeah. they'll dress things like people have been on you know aspects of body dysmorphia where you have a W. Earl Brown coming in and been like you know I'm a I'm a fat man and stuff and it's just like yeah. it's alluded to yeah. like he's just he's unhappy with his body and stuff, but then you like later on and. Then, I'm sure this was it was, you know, a deliberate reference because Catherine Keener is in the freaking movie as well. But like, Get Out yeah. has a very similar yes. premise at the end yeah. of people entering there's into a the whole. Li- there's a whole fan theory about this. Whether Ooh. it's like a, se- and... a spiritual sequel to Being John Malkovich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that it makes perfect <gasps> sense. And it's bullshit. And it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, inspired no, like it, by exactly. It. And it makes sense from a distance if you squint, and then you get into it. And like, I, I just like I was quite compelled by this fan theory, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And Catherine Keener, yeah, yeah. And then like the substance of it, it just really doesn't back it up. But it's it's a fun thing, and, and there are direct references to to being John Malkovich in the movie. Mm. I do want it would be great though if, as like Jordan Peele was completely unaware of any like similarities, yeah. and someone's like, yeah. you know, Catherine Keener's in both movies, and it cuts to that Jordan what? Peele meme of him sweating <laughs> profusely, pretending <laughs> <laughs> that he's accidentally ripped off the movie. Oh God, no! Yeah. It's like oh, it works Although so well. Why couldn't that actually happen in reality? Why do you have to deliberately reference the movie? <laughs> Well, you both brought up Catherine Keener, and I know we're not 
seeing her. We're not keen but... on her. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no. But what Good I'm night, everybody. Is, what I'm going to say is the opposite, Niall. Um, from the moment I first saw this film, uh, I, I think I fell for her instantly. <laughs> I was, wow. I was like, oh, oh, well, I, I like her character's horrible, but I like this woman. Oh, yeah, 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 it almost yeah. put me off because, like, yeah, I like Catherine Keener in general, but like, I hate, I hate her character in this. She's so <laughs> horrible. At first, you just, you know, as you're going to get to, you just think, oh, she's a bit kooky, she's a bit weird, and then obviously it, uh, it escalates. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean. I never found her that um, appealing originally. I loved uh, her. Um, I loved the the character, like not liking the character, but love. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I loved Catherine Keener in the role, but I didn't like. I don't know. Maybe she's just not not my type or something. Oh, she swayed just, me instantly. I don't know. It was, right, the, it was right. the attitude. Um, she's mm. got a bit of um, oh, tying into your uh, trans thing there now. She has a bit of a masculine energy. Mm. She mm. does. Yeah. Well, why we've got the trans thing and it's it's coming up later. C- can I get a hot take from a non-binary person <laughs> on this? Like, wh- how do you think the film does? Because I kind of I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the the film d- viewed through a modern lens. Uh, specifically with the way it does bring up specifically trans stuff yeah the trans stuff like directly yeah Yeah. um i i don't think it's a a problem really it's not it's not making fun of anything it's Mm. it's more dealing with like well this is probably the only way you could interpret what's happening because it's such Mm -hmm. a weird unique experience that what's happening in the movie yeah like how else would you try and understand it in your head like you can you can see where they're coming from oh well i okay maybe i want to be a man mm. maybe i am a man um so it's it's dealing with it fine i think it's not it's not mocking it's uh, i don't know yeah it's, like i think i i kind of get the impression that the film is in the start, the film seems to be on Craig's side. It seems to be that we're we're meant to laugh at Lottie having this wild idea. And yeah. in the first draft of the script, the the even they even kind of do like a a very zeitgeist kind of um, reference where he says uh, when he's saying to her, "This is ridiculous. It, this is Oprah talking," is what he says in the first <laughs> draft. You know, so it's like. Oh, everybody! It's the '90s. Everybody thinks they want to change their sex nowadays, and the way <laughs> we, you know, TV. <laughs> exactly the way we used to frame it back then, and 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 the way like she's also being told, are he with you know, uh, Lottie is being told that it's just in your head, and and it's not. Uh, it's not a real thing, mm-hmm. and this is what turfs are telling people. And you know what I mean? It's like yeah, yeah. it's not. It it's kind of uncomfortable. Which mm. I think would maybe be more of a problem if this character saying these things didn't then essentially become a villain. Yeah. yeah. If if you were meant to love him from minute one to the yeah. end, it would yeah. be like, oh, that's a bit uncomfortable. It's like with like anything. Like Cartman says in South Park, where you're like, well, you know, <laughs> exactly, it's coming from yeah. him. You're not supposed to take yeah. that seriously. So, yeah, it's kind of like that, I think. It's like, um, it, it, it's on the fence. I agree. Like, I see yeah. it could be a problem, but it's there's a lot worse interpretations and discussions of these kind of topics at the time. Mm. Definitely. I mean, yeah. it wasn't long before, really, as we've brought up on our own show, 
you had Ace Ventura. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which is when you're a kid you think it's great and you watch it yeah. now and you're like, What the hell? It is like horrible. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah I can't seen, watch it yeah. now. Even though it's a yeah. better movie than the sequel. Mm. I can't watch it because it's yeah. so uncomfortable. It's like, yeah. oh my god, you can't I, I, do I this. But they were all at it at the time. Yeah, know, like, yeah, it was uh, a big. Well, thing. Lindsay Ellis did a whole thing where mm. she showed clips mm. of that and and um, Naked Gun thirty three and a third. And mm. all. Oh god, no! Don't ruin Naked Gun for me. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, it's we're talking Naked Gun thirty three and a third. Oh. Naked Gun thirty three and a third ruined <laughs> Naked Gun for you. So you don't. You know, yeah. don't worry about I it. I mean, not, nothing's ever going to top the first one and Enrico Palazzo. So. Mm. Enrico Palazzo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder, though, um, I think this would have been... The fact, though, that they address it head-on in the text of her saying, like, maybe I'm a man and stuff. I think if you cut that scene and just leave it as a as subtext, because then if you just have you know a, a storyline wherein this character is going into the body of a man and then establishing mm-hmm. a, rel- a relationship... With you know, with it's Catherine all there Keener anyway, and Maxine, yeah, yeah. it's like it, it, then people will read it as a trans allegory and be like, it might come across more positively rather than having a mm-hmm. scene where it's kind of played for humor and it's flippantly kind of you know brushed away. That might yeah. you know you know it might have served them better uh, in modern times. I can imagine if it came out now, that would be the hot topic. Probably would Hun- be yeah, hundred percent. You'd, you'd yeah. do it the way you're saying, but it would also be like the main theme. Yeah, or there'd just be like a million think pieces appearing every day on Twitter about it and stuff, and you'd never hear that. Would it would just be the movie that was like, is this the 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 Turf being John Turfovich or you know something Uh, like that? (laughs) To be honest, the fact it's even in there, and again, okay, that it's it's that scene in particular you're talking about is um, Mm -hmm. it can go either way depending how you look at it. But the fact it's even in the movie and it's being addressed and it's not. The movie isn't saying it's ridiculous. Mm. I think that's well, important. It's this character. Think it is, though, at that moment. I don't know. I, I think later the movie softens because I think this movie p- pulls a particular trick, and we're going to explore this in the minutes. But it does this thing where it's actually quite like the um, the subversion of your expectations in the chimpanzee storyline. Because mm. in that... That is played for laughs as <laughs> a chimp going to therapy. This is ridiculous. But then it shows you. But yeah. then it actually <laughs> validates that whole thing and gives Elijah this internal life. And you're like, uh, so, and that would be a very Oprah kind of uh, daytime TV mm-hmm. where, oh, they're, they're, the people are taking their animals to psychiatrists mm-hmm. now. You know what I mean? What, you know, yeah, it just smacks of that 90s thing. I just wish I could see these 90s episodes of Oprah where there was animals and <laughs> <or> psychiatrists. No, <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm broadening it out beyond Oprah to, you know, the, the, Ricky, the, Lake. the, the <laughs> Ricky Lakes and the Sally Jesse. <laughs> no, but um, I think as well, like, it is, I'm trying to think how, how to word this. Delicately. It is doing that, but I think in a way it's also... It's sort of like it's it's taking an audience who expect that to be funny, yeah, and mm. then twisting it yeah. on them, like, I, oh, it's not a joke. Yeah, here you go. <laughs> because the the trans thing doesn't come true for her, but what both Maxine and Lottie do uh, just enter into a relationship together. Mm. You know, Maxine drops her only in Malkovich rule, 
which mm. is much more to do with uh, the power kick that she gets out of it. It's not to do with the, she, her finding uh, Malkovich so appealing. In fact, she <laughs> says the too prominent brow and the male pattern baldness, and she, you know, she like. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, <laughs> the time, like I think even the first time I saw it, it's like pattern baldness. Like there's no pattern there. It's all gone. <laughs> He's just bald. It. It's interesting that, though, because there's a bit that you're going to get to later where she finds, uh, Lottie, finds Malkovich's body not just fitting, yeah. but she seems to find it kind of sexy for herself. Yeah, yeah. she So it's quite sexy. weird. Like, this yeah. whole movie's like, Malkovich is hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I imagine Niall, since he has weird taste, probably thinks that's right. <laughs> that's it, yeah. You know, Malkovich, ain't a, I don't think he's a bad-looking guy by any means, but... But it, it is, it is, there's so many, again, as you probably know, Austin, as you're going to be covering the entire movie in this <laughs> format. But yeah, there's aspects of things like um, like body dys- dysmorphia and stuff where oh, like, it's people, because it's got things of like, obviously his personality or, you know, life dysphoria, I guess, where, you know, Craig's obviously disillusioned with his yeah. position in the world. But then you do get, again, like, you know, an overweight people coming and going like, I don't, uh, you know, I don't feel right in this but and you know Lottie flat out saying that and stuff I do yeah. like I would have liked to I think nowadays you probably might have aspects like they're bringing things like people of different races going into mm-hmm. the body of a rich white man and all they, they would comment and things like that but then we're into get out territory but we're also into Lovecraft country territory that's oh, yeah there you go yeah, yeah, yeah so that's that's kind of a, a lesson about diversity because the that angle of like taking this premise and seeing it through a kind of racial lens was missed by the all white crew who made this movie mm-hmm. and the handful of of black uh, i think there's three black people in the movie at my count I'll, I'll definitely make sure i count as i go through hey, what do you mean it's a spike lee joint <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah uh God, yeah, that was spike milligan what the hell's going on <laughs> Yeah, when you're talking about body swapping and like, I'm not saying that if you had a more diverse crew behind the movie that you would automatically totally change the movie, but definitely there should be black people queuing up in that queue. Yes. Um, And there was even less diversity in the script because it was originally going to be that every single patron of JM Inc., was uh, was obese and was dealing with that specific issue. And and it was really kind of played for played for laugh but i mean i i don't know how offended i was reading the script i'd have to kind of read it again but it was just it's it's very one of the most important things in today's world is to calibrate just how offended to be (laughs) (laughs) well you could read that though as like a, a in a satirical sense of um it's making fun of the culture and the media and things. Oh yeah, and that's making there. these yeah. people feel like definitely they're not comfortable yeah. in their body. That's yeah, I'd yeah. never like, advocate for a remake of this movie, but it does feel like there could be more done with this premise now. Like yeah, it, yeah. and you know, and you know what would be number one on the list uh, uh, to do with this premise? Explain the fuck out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Get all the rules pinned down establish a canon of what they can would. and can't happen with the portal how the history of the portal how it works all this bullshit that oh. goes through my head but <laughs> while i'm watching it but i have the decency to say no it doesn't matter the portal is there to serve the film not the other way around yeah mm. and it's it's more fun to think about and speculate 
It's more oh, fun to talk. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like as well how this minute tells us quite a lot about uh, John Cusack's character as well yeah. in the brief glimpses we get of him. Mm. Because, you know, we we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but in films we often do. Mm-hmm. We kind of need this, to. But this, uh, this guy, in the glimpses we get, I think you can instantly tell he's an obsessive genius. Yeah. For better or for worse. You only see little bits of him and you know, like, oh, this guy, he's crazy, <laughs> but he's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's per- Like, what he does is perfection, but there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, even seeing all the little things on his fingers and stuff, like, yeah, the meticulousness that yeah. all that involves is it's it, it's one of those things that you get in as the as the minutes go on you do have like well this guy seems to refuse to get a job but yeah. initially <laughs> but it's like you're kind of like oh because you see him you know waking up in a bed but he's like is it because he's lazy he's like he's, he's clearly not lazy he, no he, he just doesn't care about that like he's just very entitled he just mm, feels yeah. like the world i've this is what i've chosen to do and the world owes me like success out of this mm-hmm. and it's a uh, you, yeah you, there's various ways you can interpret that you know as the particularly through a modern lens where white male entitlement is is a mm-hmm. frequent topic of conversation on the internet now <laughs> yeah yeah so it's um but yeah yeah they, they definitely definitely got the because it looks like yeah he must spend his entire life down on top of this thing doing well that's what's nuanced about it though because there's all the entitlement but it's like well but he is talented so it's it's very interesting it makes you think about it a bit more than you don't just love him or hate him it's like oh yeah well then we get into the status of puppetry as an art form because anybody of the level of talent depicted in craig schwartz would be a massive star in any other field Mm-hmm. But it's because, and, and and this is a specific choice that um, Kaufman made. He chose puppetry because it's the kind of um, the forgotten child of the theater arts. Mm-hmm. And um, he wanted that to chime with the character. You know, he wanted to give him something that's like society gives no credence to. That you, it doesn't confer any status on you. Um, so that then when you become John Malkovich... Your the talents you already had and now because of the halo effect of celebrity <laughs> are like you know world changing and life changing and it's that's where the comment about you know the ridiculous and arbitrary way we put people up on pedestals works yeah mm. yeah because mm. all of a sudden it's suddenly interesting to people <laughs> uh, but the, I think we you know, obviously should point out as well though as you alluded to John earlier but like this this scene is in fact mirrored later on in the movie. Yes. When, you know, John Malkovich himself. Well, not, actually not John Malkovich himself. Well, Schwartz, how do you interpret it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, via, via John Malkovich performs the same, and, uh, you know, wows uh, Maxine with it. Like, you know, mm. she, uh, and, and, and me. Same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a bit like, I, I do, uh, it, within the context of that scene, it is impressive that, a, an unconnected man living yes. inside the head of John Malkovich is making that body do that. But yeah. like to watch John Malkovich do it or to watch a puppet do it, I mean, I got a puppet's more impressive, quite frankly. Yeah, uh, yeah but when, when Malkovich does it, it's more like, um, it, it feels more like something I've seen on the stage. Like I've seen this yes. sort of 
interpretive dance, which which is what the puppet's doing. Oh, yeah. 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 But it's just interesting, yeah, when you have a puppet doing something that's very human. Mm, that's it's a, a whole human vibe. art form. Mm. Mm. But, uh, like, when Malkovich does it later, don't forget he does, like, a forward somersault and a, <laughs> yeah. and a wall walk and a back handspring. Amazing. Uh, like it, it is pretty. It gets pretty crazy in that scene. You know, I like. I agree when he's kind of first doing his first couple of moves, especially the emotional stuff when he's just like, you know, when he's just doing acting, acting. You know, and he's obviously doing it very arch and very playing it up. It's like, yeah, that's very kind of theatrical in the in the not great sense of the word. And then and then it becomes something much more spectacular. You know. Ah, I'm interested when you get there because I want to know if it's if that's deliberate, you know, to maybe build to it, or if it's uh, just a well, happy accident. We'll, well see. I, I know, yeah, yeah. I know that that was uh, all shot first, and then he had to do the puppetry. Philip Huber had to do the puppetry to match it, um, oh. which is which is what <laughs> ultimately <laughs> became a very good thing because he had to drive himself like nobody had done this with puppets before this movie and it's like it's it's he he really pushed through pushed the arc form ahead Mm. um but this as we're saying is where the dance really takes off because you've got these crazy acrobatic moves and Mm. it's just we go from you know the kind of subtlety and the emotional things to this like this is the kind of fireworks bit this is the where Mm. where we're really showing how amazing uh, craig schwartz is and um we cut to craig and he's sweating now with the effort of this and this (laughs) this moment in the uh first draft of the script it's not just craig that's sweating it's the puppet starts to sweat and it's revealed then that the Craig has um, along with the strings in his hand he's got a little kind of bellows that he pumps ah. uh, he pumps sweat <laughs> there's a device installed into the head <laughs> of the puppet uh, and so it makes it sweat and it's just like mm, that's kind of a funny idea it's kind of a cool uh, idea but I'm pretty glad it's not in the movie you know what I mean yeah, I thought you were just going to say his own sweat had dripped onto well it. that would yeah I mean that would Symbolic. probably be enough yeah yeah and it would be it, yeah, uh, but yeah, I'm glad they kind of took that out and mm. and they put in the, you know, him becoming aware of the strings and looking up and that's like. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I could have had a, a drop of his sweet Miller genuine draft uh, falling down at the top of the. Oh, the yeah. Top of the, <laughs> <laughs> the beer of kings. The sweat device in the script just kind of strikes me as like it's in a way it's a setup for the gimmicky bastard moment later on with like he's giving out about uh Derek mm. Mantini being a gimmicky bastard but this is like a sweating puppet is such a gimmick you know <laughs> yeah yeah well that's the thing when he when he talks about him and oh he's gimmicky blah 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 ultimately it's just jealousy i think well, yeah and he plays it i mean it's an upcoming minute so but he mm. he plays it with a smirk he's like gimmicky bastard yeah. but he's mm. like i love it i want yeah. it, it's um, like oh you you thought of it before me God yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> just to kind of direct people's attention as well um when he turns away from the mirror and does this particular pose where his arms are out and he does a sudden stop that's a reversed shot and that's going to come up later on when when um we have the philip huber segment talking about it and i just wanted to, to draw people's attention to that Ooh. um because there is trickery involved in this like 
not that much. Like there's certainly no animation pretending to be puppetry or or something that's very very much fake. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a mm. there's a reverse shot, and there's a couple of shots they do they do a lot of editing obviously, and there's a few times that they retooled the marionette between to to do particular moves. Ah. Um, so everything is achieved um, except for that reverse shot. Everything is achieved in camera, but it involves several setups and a, a <laughs> an actual stunt double puppet. There's a second puppet. What? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll we'll get to that in the Philip Huber segment. So you guys will have to listen and we get more detail there. But yeah, it's it's um, because the particular moves that this puppet had to do were so intricate and were all based on it explicitly says in every draft of the script from the beginning moves that should not be possible with a marionette so mm. it's always been about him you know craig schwartz pushing the art form and uh so you know now so in real life it became about philip huber uh, pushing the art form with some assistance for some assistance from camera trickery but well that, you know, that's still pushing it. the art form yeah, 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 done yeah, that. yeah. yeah it's all it's all make-believe yeah so we also get at the end of the minute here something i didn't notice for for years in this is that like we hear just as he's drinking his beer he hears Lottie off screen saying Craig honey time for bed mm. and then just as our minute here ends we hear Craig honey time to get up Craig honey time to get up <laughs> and uh, and it just kind of um, it kind of sets up that like he's being is it like a nagging wife that we're setting up you know <laughs> what I mean that like she the 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 parrot is just parroting what what she's heard from Lottie, um, but it's kind of Lottie's like very soft about everything. Yeah, but you could read it as passive aggressive. I don't know. It's uh, it's uh, I've I feel differently different times I'm watching it probably yeah. but again uh, it all ties in so beautifully in the fact that like again here is Craig's been told when to go to bed. He's been told yeah. when to get up. His life is and then you know the parrot's been told what to say. It's yeah, like, there's levels of puppetry going on on yeah. top of puppetry. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you could argue like, um, is it a good thing or a bad thing that left to his own devices, he'll probably be doing this puppetry until four or five in the morning. Mm. Yeah, she's like having to make him go to bed, which is a good thing, but he doesn't want to. Mm. <laughs> yeah. so, it's, you do it's, get the slight uh, vibe of not for Lottie Craig would be on like the street doing this puppetry basically oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he yeah, would have just but, fallen into complete destitution out of an obsession but then isn't that a kind of a you know codependent situation where it's that's not too healthy either you know mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> that's like Lottie look at me we've been separated for almost a day <laughs> I'm as dirty as a Frenchman <laughs> but then is it one of the first people we do see who becomes really enamored with the 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 ability to control John Malkovich is Lottie as well. So yeah. maybe the she getting off and been able to like passively aggress, uh, passively well, aggressively. But she's not. Of. But she's not controlling him. She she just gets to inhabit the the Malkovich vessel. She. she oh yeah. I mean, true. there's one scene I think where. Oh yeah, sorry. She does control him. She does uh, do hypnotic suggestion to him. She meet her there, meet her there, meet her there. Um, but I think that's the only time uh, he she influences Malkovich from from inside. You know, so could, to her, it's not really about control. And even the meet her there moment is about the connection with Maxine, and it's about like 
she's also just thinking, why wouldn't you want to? You know what I mean? Like, of course, just like do it. Yeah. So I think when you were when you started, say, the person who enjoys controlling Malkovich, I thought you were going to say Maxine because she does it uh, from outside. You yeah. Know I mean? yeah. She puts yeah. she puts one of her agents, i.e. first Lottie, then uh, Schwartz into Malkovich and manipulates them with her with the promise that like the dangled carrot of her love and affection which mm. is puppetry which yeah. is puppetry yeah. ah. she's and, arguably and, the and more successful puppeteer than Craig but like, absolutely because yeah. she's the and she's the only one who has no interest in going into Malkovich she mm. doesn't go in and the only time it's addressed in the movie is when Lottie asks uh, asks her have you tried Malkovich yet and then conveniently uh, Maxine's phone is answered and th- so then she starts talking on the phone mm-hmm. so that's a very deliberate point that the, the movie is saying like Maxine couldn't give a shit about going in to be somebody else she knows who mm. she is yeah and but she she can she can use this you know what I mean mm. yeah she is the the Sheev Palpatine <laughs> of the being John Malkovich <laughs> universe <laughs> Sheev Maxatine, Sheev Maxine. Oh my god! Like, oh, young Craig Swartz. I'll be watching your career with some enthusiasm. <laughs> can we? Can we get a, again a fan edit where we've got Ian McDermott playing this part? Oh wow! Which I part? Well, well, I was going to say Maxine. Yeah, yeah. Any, any, and every part. Yeah, yeah. The more Ian McDermott in my life, the better. It, it, you could do the movie with Ian McDermott instead of uh, John Malkovich. I suppose he's a theatre oh. man. Mm. <laughs> He was Iago, like being yeah. Emperor Palpatine, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was very, very famous for his Iago on the stage. <laughs> he brought that to the Emperor in the prequels. He said that was his big influence. Yeah, a, oh no, that was when he played Iago in Aladdin. That was a, he was doing his Gilbert Gottfried impression. <laughs> <laughs> Ian McDermott is actually he's the world's greatest Gilbert Gottfried impersonator. That's, a, that's the undersung thing about him. Yeah, little known fact though. <laughs> Heard it here first, people. See, I was originally the voice he was going to use in Star Wars, and then Lucas had to step in and go, you know what, we'll do two takes, and then yeah. at the end of the day, we'll ask everyone what they think. I'm just picturing him saying, like, you know, use your aggressive feelings in Gilbert Gottfried's um, voice. So be it, Jedi! <laughs> Any more notes for minute three? I, I am dying to get into... John Cusack as just as an actor and as a screen presence and his reputation like throughout mm. t- time you know yeah. throughout his career and stuff he is stupendous in this movie he's one of those mm. actors he's in so many things you just go it's John Cusack it's John Cusack <laughs> but you do kind of have a moment of like oh lots of things I've seen him in you know <laughs> just exactly like uh, mm-hmm. Craig has about Malkovich just like uh, uh, he's uh, that Jewel Thief movie for example mm-hmm. um yeah, you know, said the 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 great uh, screen reunion of John Cusack and uh, John Malkovich from from Con Air, of course, co-stars. Uh, there. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Dare yeah. I say though, I think this might be Cusack's best role. I I I don't know. I I'm maybe too close to judge. It's definitely my favorite role of his. Mm. I suppose his other big one that you know that we associate him with is um is uh, what you call it? top five uh, like in, uh, high, uh, high, high fidelity. fidelity. Yeah. That's a yeah. great one. That's and a great one. The thing is that that's very centered around him and his personality and his delivery of everything. So like I uh, he I think he's more of a star of that movie than anything else I can I think think. Also, my 
one of my favorite movies, Gross Point Blank. I was going to bring that up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's entirely. But then that's getting into, like, because this is so against type for John Cusack. That's one of like, yes. the, the more notable aspects of it. And at this point, I remember actually around, I must have been like 2004, 2005. And it's not actually that long after, you know, this came out, uh, Empire Magazine doing an article where they just said, what, what has happened to John Cusack? Because... Mm. In the early 2000s, his career kind of went off the boil, and he's never quite recovered from it. But they were saying, it's like, this guy was infallible yes. for, like, the 80s through the 90s. Every single time John Cusack was in anything, you were guaranteed it was going to be a good project, and he was going to be great in it. And yes. then something mm. happened where it just, like, it, it just stopped. like, room 1408 or whatever that was called, and just, yeah, like... Oh, yeah. These, these yeah, really kind of bland... Forgettable movies. Roland Emmerich was it was it 2012 he was in like the big apocalypse. Yeah, 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 the day after 2012 was the big yeah. One of but them. Yeah, They're but the it is so. But again, again now too, like again talking about high fidelity. That's also you could say it's it's a similar role to Craig in that like was it was a guy who's very obsessive about music mm. and stuff, and mm. he is a bit of a sad sack. Yeah, but I just now wonder going back through all of John Cusack's career because you could say that Martin Blank's like, well, he's a very neurotic, kind of a, like a bit of a melancholic character in his own right, but he's kind of cool as well. But at the same time, yeah. he is a killer, so that might make him unlikable to some people. Yeah, but, but then, as you go back through, like, maybe he does have a knack for playing people who seem very personable and who you think are quite likable, but maybe. Yeah aren't if you yeah, actually think yeah. about it cause. i mean i think what sets craig schwartz apart from the blanks of this world is like outward status he's clearly the loser character in his life and in his world and in in society mm. whereas like blank what you call him martin blank Martin Blank went the other direction, six-figure salary <laughs> and uh, etc. He's all about status. And then the high-fidelity guy has status in a limited kind of sphere. Yeah. Um, but he's very much the king of his and he's got losers working for him that make him look good by, by comparison. I think Cusack rarely plays the bottom of the, you know, the bottom feeder. Yeah, socially. yeah, and that's what he's doing here. And he's, you might get a, like, a little bit in like well, that's early early <laughs> careers, like uh, like better off dead or something. But he's like he's still yeah. kind of like the average Joe in that though. Exactly, like he's, and he's kind of a loser in that. Like, look how cool it is to be a loser. Kind <laughs> yeah, of hell yeah. <laughs> but then you get like the I guess like yeah, say anything. It's just like oh yeah, everybody loves Lloyd Dobler. Mm. Like everybody loves. He's like he's like <laughs> Ferris Bueller le- levels of adored in a school and stuff. But it's just John Cusack kind of being John Cusack or that John Cusack character that he always kind of played up until this point where it was just like, holy moly, that's John Cusack. (laughs) And then, as we'll see in the upcoming minutes, it's like, that's Cameron Diaz and, you know, it goes on and stuff. Great casting. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing casting. So we've come to the end of another minute. Can't hold you in here any longer. You ready to come back tomorrow? Uh, well, it's like last time I got spat out, uh, I did end up uh, at the bottom of the ocean, and so um, I, I, that was quite a quite a chore getting back from that one. But as long as I end up somewhere nicer this time, yeah, I'll come back for another go. I ended up at the top of Everest, so how? The, well, luckily I found a corpse and and slid it down to safety <laughs> to the bottom of the the man. Oh, I, I found a corpse too, and he was just managed to pierce a couple of holes in him, and I yeah, was lifted up to the top. Those corpses were provided. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I had to eat mine, though, so that was the only thing. (sighs) 
There's always that anticlimax when guests leave, don't you find? But you're still here. And I've got another one of these Philip Huber interview segments for you. Let's hear it, shall we? Starting with Craig's dance of despair and disillusionment. You were working with a puppet in this minute that you had to extensively retool uh, on a sequence that you were redoing from scratch. Yes. How did that go? Was there a lot of pressure, a lot of time constraints because of that? Uh, well, the difficulty was that the uh, movements that were in that segment were movements that were considered impossible for a marionette to do, quite a few mm. of them. The yeah. forward somersault, backhand spring, wall walk, things like that. And so I had to figure out a way to try and get those in. Spike was adamant that he wanted a full somersault and back handspring without a cut. Mm. He, he really wanted the marionette to be performing that so that he said that Craig would be the greatest marionettist in the world. Yeah, yeah. To do these Which things. I'm sure didn't sound too bad for your ego. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I didn't... I. I felt I couldn't promise him that because it is so difficult. I, I really had no idea how to do it to start with. So we had two different marionettes, actually. We had the hero marionette that appears for most of it. Right. And then the stunt double that was created just to do the forward somersault and back wow. handspring. And within a few days of us actually getting to the studio, I suddenly realized how I could do this. I, I had tried several techniques in my workshop yeah. and uh, I, I would say it was like three or four days right before it suddenly came to me exactly how to do it and it was a very very simple technique I mean everything had to be simplified down to the bare necessities and it was just two pieces of doweling were the controls yeah. and I would start out with my arms kind of in a, a contorted position yeah. I would start to do the maneuver and uh, since I had two different control bars, one of them held strings that I could clear. So yes. you would use those first set of strings, then you could clear them. Second set of strings would take oh, over yes. and, and return the puppet back up to a standing position. Yes. And even then, it took about 17 takes to get a really good one because the puppet would start to fall a little bit off balance. Yeah. It wouldn't it wouldn't maintain that upright uh, perfect look. And so that's what I had to continually work with, strive to to keep that balance while that motion was going on. Wow. And that stunt double, the stunt double puppet, did that have to be as detailed and intricate as the original or were you able to get away with face detail not mattering in that shot or oh, it, it was quite a bit different. It was quite simple. Uh, it didn't have the moving eyes, didn't okay. have the eye animation, did not, its hands were wired. Mm. It's a wire running between the two hands, and you can actually spot it if you look oh, really wow. close in, in the segment. I will be looking closely, yeah. <laughs> but there was a black wire in between that held his hands in a position, oh, and okay. so this was part of the cheat, was to keep him, you know, right in this position, so he was just ready to dive into yeah. the somersault and come back up out of it to the standing yeah. position. Great. Um, the other parts of that, that little segment were interesting because when I first came into the project, I said to Spike, the ideal thing to do is build the puppet and then have the puppeteer show you all the movements mm -hmm. that that marionette is capable of doing. 
And then the choreographer can take those movements and put them into a routine for the human uh, actor and stunt double to do. So yes. it was, uh, there was an acrobat that was a stunt double for Malkovich also. So when he does the dance of despair, disillusionment, that's how he does all that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite parallel. Yes. But the idea was that after I left, I, I wasn't available, of course, to do this project. And when I came back to it, they had already shot uh, the number uh, with the people, with the live actors, with Malkovich, yes. his stunt double. So everything was locked in. These movements had to happen with the marionette one way or another. And that Very was good. my limitation. And so we had to just find each each individual way to make things happen. Marionettes do not run well, and they also don't stop. Because when you realize the weight of the marionette moving forward, and if you try to stop quickly with them, they're going to have a pendulum action. And that's annoying. And it, sometimes I can counteract it when I'm working a marionette. If I have two different pulls in two different mm. directions, I can actually stabilize the marionette. But you can't. You also you also have an act where you use that to your advantage. You have a trapeze act where you yeah. use the pendular swinging beautifully. Oh, absolutely. Well, actually, nine tenths of the time when I'm working a marionette, I am using quite a bit of pendulum action. I'm swinging okay. legs, allowing them to yes. swing into new positions and then place. And the same thing with the arms and stuff like that. So I actually use the weight of the puppet. Lovely. But in this yeah. particular case, there was part of the dance of despair and disillusionment where the puppet had to run forward, stop in a rigid pose. Yes. And that particular one was was so uh, difficult that we just couldn't get it. We shot several times. And, of course, the puppet did the usual little swinging action at the end. And then I had the idea while we were shooting it that I should do the immediate, uh, the part right before that, about three seconds, two or three seconds. I should do that in reverse. Hmm. So I should start out with the pose and then go into what he had happened right previous to him getting into that pose. And that was moving from a chest of drawers where he had been resting and kind of like panting and then had to turn around and run and go into this pose. And that was the way we could get that pose. They, they found uh, that by reversing the camera there that I could uh, I could get the pose really strong yeah. but it's uh, I actually had to do it more than once because the first time it looked too perfect yeah and later <laughs> then I had to add little extra jiggles to the puppet so that it, when it played back it looked uh, normal <laughs> 